Thanks for listening to the Journey Podcast. We're so glad you're here. Journey exists to engage people in the process of knowing Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast engages you and encourages you to become more like Him. Well, today we get to start a new series together. We're going to walk through the book of Genesis. And and the book of Genesis is a book of beginnings. So we see the beginning of creation. We see the beginning of the world. We see the beginning of man and humanity. But we also see the beginning of sin. And we, but we also get to see the beginning of redemption. We get to see the beginning of God's redemption story, how he always has set out to save us, to run after us. So before we begin, before we hear of the message, we're going to read the beginning together, starting in Genesis 1. So I'm going to read here. You can follow along on the screens. And this is what it says. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth, earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God said let there, that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning. And then God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let us separate the waters from the waters. And so God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God created the land and the vegetation and the sun and the stars and all the animals of the earth. And then God said, let us make man in our image, like our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And the serpent said to the woman, did God really actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said back to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And here we see the beginning of creation, the beginning of humanity, the beginning of sin and redemption. Why don't you preach the word to us? Well, it started about a month and a half ago. I was having lunch with a good friend of mine. Um, I actually had the chance to lead him to Christ uh, a year or so ago. And we were sitting there having a conversation. He says, so what 
what's your new favorite series coming up? And I said, it's a, it's a, it's a one from the book of Genesis. And at that point, I didn't even have a title yet. We didn't even know what the title was. I kept saying in the beginning, in the beginning, because it's really the first line. I was just like, maybe that's the, maybe that's the, you know. And so he said, Bobby, can you do me a favor sometime? Can you do a series that's not about perfect people? Can you do a series that's not about all the things that everybody's done right? He said, I look at the book of Genesis, and it's all creation and all this good stuff. And I said, I don't think you've read the book of Genesis. As a matter of fact, it's nothing like what you just described. And I challenged him the first of the year. I said, hey, let's do something together. Let's read a chapter every day. Let's, let's, let's text each other. Let's talk about it. Let's do a study together about the book of Genesis. And he texted me last week, and he said, hey, can we go out and have lunch? He said, I'm really kind of confused about this book of Genesis thing. I said, yeah, let's do it. So we go out there, and he goes, dude. I'm like, what? He goes, the book of Genesis is a bunch of mess-ups just like me. I'm like, yeah. He goes, do you know that Noah was a drunk, and his kids had to try to chase him down and bring him back to the, you know? And I'm like, yes. Hey, did you know that, did you know that there's people in there that actually gave their, their, their siblings away and, and left them? And I'm like, yes. I said, man, that's why Genesis is such a cool book. It's, it's not just about creation, and though creation is a huge part of it. See, when we look at the book of Genesis, if you really look at it, what you see is people a lot like us. People that have made mistakes, people that have had problems, good people that have made wrong decisions, good people that have lapsed in judgment. But what you see, bigger than anything else in the book of Genesis, you see the start of a redemption story. You see a loving God that's tried for thousands of years to create that moment in time where creator and creation were once again in harmony. Because that's what he said when he looked at humanity. He said, it is very good. He loved being with them. And so today what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the first three chapters of the book of Genesis. And we're going to look at three different aspects. We're going to look at the initial part of the, just the intentionality that God had with creation. We're going to look at that moment of temptation that we all deal with, right? Because we all deal with temptation. And what sin will eventually do if we if we allow sin to rule in our lives because sin will absolutely wreck us. Now, here's the deal. I want to be honest with you. In, 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 in 35 minutes, we can't cover all three chapters, okay? It's way too much to figure out in just, in, in just 35 minutes. So here's the challenge. I want you to do some studying. There's some really good books out there that will help you study this. One of the books that I've been reading and I've looked through and I've read before is one by a guy by the name of Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel did the Case for Christ and all that, but he does one called Case for Creator, and it's an amazing book, and it'll help you walk through all the, the situations. Right now in our church, the women of our church are going through a Bible study called Seamless. And it's one of those studies that actually brings all this stuff together. So there's still time. I've already checked with the teachers. If you're not involved in that, you can come on Tuesday mornings. I think it happens at 10 o'clock, right? 10 o'clock. And then it's Tuesday nights at 6.30. There's classes called Seamless. It's another great study. And there's all, and you know what? You can just pick up an old-fashioned. How many people have been around church a long time? Like 20 years or more. So you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. There's a study Bible with us at years ago. It's, it's in King James, and I think it's New American Standard. It's called the Reary or the Ryrie Study Bible. It's one of the best study Bibles you can possibly pick up, okay? So in all the tabs, it's got, this is what the Scripture's talking about. This is what the Scripture's talking about. So I would encourage you to pick that. Just don't take my word for it, okay? Go home and do something. The challenge is that we're all going to read through this together. So though I'm going to talk about three chapters, I want you to read the first three chapters, and I want you to study them on your own. So here's the thing. What I'm going to do um, today is I'm going to give some observations 
that I have made in the book of Genesis from the first three chapters. The first observation I want us to make, you may want to write this down, is we see God's intentionality through the creation story. We see how intentional God is with everything, that it's not just haphazard. It's not just something crawling up on the, on the beach. It's not an explosion out somewhere where matter kind of comes together. There's an intentionality, and this is what's so cool about the whole story. So anybody, I, I'm going to do a little something. I, I, I wrote this down between services, okay? So I want you to tell me what this, this quote, what movie this quote comes from, and I'll, I'll even put it this way. It's the first words of the story when the screen comes away, okay? So here it is, the first one. This is an easy one, okay? So I want everybody to shout it out if you know what it is. My name is Forrest Gump. You want some chocolate. What is it? Okay, I'm glad you didn't say something else because that would have like really been checked. Okay, so here's another one. This is a hard one. Nobody got it in the, in the first service, okay? So here, here's it. Um, who am I? You sure you want to know? You may want to be a, a superhero fan to know this one. No. Good guess, though. It was Spider-Man. So Spider-Man says it in the very first, it's the very first thing he says. This, this one, this one, everybody should get this one, okay? Here's, here's, I'm 36 years old. I love my family. I love baseball, and I'm about to become a farmer. But until I heard the voice, I never have done anything crazy in my whole entire life. Where's that from? Field of Dreams, right? So that's what's so cool about this. I think in the very first line, it says everything about what we believe. And it says this, in the beginning, before there was anything else, before the sun, before the moon, before the stars, before the planets, before the mountains, before anything was out there, in the beginning. And then he goes on to say, this is exactly what God says. He talks about the intentionality. He said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. The darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. As Lindsay just read, we re read that in day one, light, you know, let there be light, and light came, and God separated the light from darkness, so you had the first day, and then the second day, he created the sky, and the third day, he created land, and all the uh, vegetarian, uh, veg uh, vegetation, and all the vegetarians. See, I found the root of all that right here, okay? And then he tells us to eat meat later, so just anyway. Then he says on the fourth day, he created the sun and the moon, the fifth day, he created the creatures of the sea and the birds, and on the sixth day... It says that he created all the animals, the beasts of the field, and he created humans. And I love this dialogue. I love, just lean into this because it, it expresses the intentionality and how much God loves us. He says, then God said, let us, this is really important, let us make man in our image. Not in the image of a frog or a baboon or some other kind of creature. He said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created. Male and female he created in verse 28, and God blessed them. Isn't that cool? That God blessed them. The greatest part of creation was humanity, and he said, I'm going to bless them. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds and the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. See, the point of Genesis chapter one is that God created the earth. And in the very first sentence, he expresses that in the beginning. It's almost to the point where I get some, somewhat offended now when somebody says something about another kind of philosophy because it discredits God every time. And we can see God through creation. We see God through all the things that are happening in the world. We see God through the mountains. We see God as we're riding up and down the streets. God did something so amazing and so intentional. 
I love the way he says it in Psalms chapter 104, the writer of Psalms. The psalmist says, O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom have you made them. All the earth is full of your creatures. He's saying, listen, there's intentionality right there. That we were not happy. That you're not junk and I'm not junk. That God had intentionality when he was breathing life into us. When he breathed life in Adam and he, and he created Eve out of Adam's rib. He, he said, listen, there's something really important here. And this is the thing. Everything else he said, by the way, this is good. But when he looked at humanity, he said, this is very good. It was his prized possession. You are his prized creation. You are everything that he dreamed you would be, regardless of what the world's told you you are. That you're his prized possession. It was God's intention. We also see this. We see how God loves his creation. That God not only made it, and it wasn't just so he could have, like, I created this thing. It's because he wanted to spend time because he loved it. That means there's nothing meaningless or impersonal about how God did what he does. We see how he loves creation. He said, it was good. And God still, by the way, can I just throw something out? Because some of you probably aren't tracking with me. God still loves his creation. I will tell you this. We have made a mess of this world. You know, the most important word in that sentence was what? We. God didn't make a mess of this world. But he's loved his creation from the very beginning of time, from Adam and Eve, he's loved, and all the way through 2021. He loves people on both sides of the aisle. Somebody needs to say amen to that. He, he loves people that don't believe the same way that you believe or I believe. He loves them. He created them. They were designed in his image. And he said that they were very good. And one of the things that, that just kind of kept sticking out as I'm reading over and over again, I love the way Psalms 104 says, may the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. I, I love the way, and, and, and one of the things that the Bible says over and over again, the creation reveals God's glory. Creation will actually lead people to Jesus. L listen to what it says. Psalms 19, the heavens declare the, the glory of God and the sky above proclaim his handiwork. Anybody ever been driving down the road and you just look at the sky and you go, Oh, man. Like, how did that happen? That's the most beautiful picture I've ever seen. There's no way that just two stars bumped together and somehow or another haphazardly it came together to look like this. There's just no way. that The, the, the chances of that happen. So the chances of that happening, and I don't know if you, I don't want to get too deep into this. I told you we weren't going to spend a lot of time. But the chances of evolution happening. Did you ever, ever do any study on this? The chances of evolution are happening. You would have to fill the United States, 10 feet in quarters across the whole United States. You paint one quarter, and I tell you to go find that one quarter. That's the chances of the evolution theory being able to be completely true. It's easier for me, somebody should say amen, it's easier to believe in a creative creator that created this universe and put everything with intentionality in place and designed humanity. It's easier to believe that than something else, like two things hit hit together, and all of a sudden the world was created. I look at the stars of the heaven at night. I did it in December. I, you, I met many of you did it too. We saw the Bethlehem star. Wasn't that underwhelming? <laughs> like I looked at the, I, I shared the story Christmas Eve night. It was like, huh. That's all there is, huh? And then it was gone. Like, where'd you go? But, but after I thought about it, like, Think about this. This was the same star that was leading people to the, to, the, to the city where Jesus was being born. And oh my goodness, the thought of how God did that and the intentionality of that moment. And did you ever look at a mountain scene and go, I, 
when I was over in Italy, 2015, I was blown away because in our culture here, we only know a couple, three, four hundred years. But you go over there and you start seeing BC on things, you're like, crap, that's a long time ago, right? That's BC. BC, that's before Jesus, BC. Man, do you ever be riding? I do it every, uh, this time of year, especially when it gets dark about 6, 6.30, um, when I leave work, I get to ride up. I, I live on the other side of Keg Creek, up, up by the lake, and I get to see, because if you didn't know that, the sun sets that direction. If you've never stopped and just seen a beautiful sunset, you need to stop on Washington Road about 6 o'clock one night and just, just pull over the side of the road. It's the most beautiful thing you've seen. And when the orange is in the sky and all the, the blues and you see God's creation, how can you not... Look at something like that. How can you not look at a rainbow, which we'll talk about next week when we talk about Noah. How can you not look at a rainbow and go, oh my goodness. So let me say this. I believe one of the things that the Bible tells us in the book of Genesis and really points out, it's an observation I've made, is that, is that we should love what God loves and who he loves. And he loves his creation. So I'm going to go on a little soapbox for about maybe two minutes. I believe that we should be taking care of our world. I believe we should be conscious of what's going on in the world around us. I'm talking about the environment. I'm not talking about hugging trees and tying yourself to, you know. I'm, not, I'm talking about just your little corner of the world. That means you don't throw your McDonald's wrapper out your window after you get done eating. So I, I was at Walmart, the Walmart. And um, so if you're a guest at Journey, Welcome. The pastor of this church has no filter. And I'm finding out I don't have, no, it's not just my mouth, it's my actions. Like, and that's why some of you love me and some of you don't like me. But, I, so I'm at Walmart and I'm seeing this hustle and bustle going on in the backseat of a car. Like it looked like a vanish kind of deal, right? Like a SUV. And I, and I see a diaper that was folded up, thrown out the, the car. And the, the lady then picks up the, and if it was somebody in our church, I'm sorry, um, but she, she picks up the diaper and she puts it in a, like a, a, a sack, like a Walmart, like a plastic bag, and she leaves it on the ground. So you know what I did? Not what you think. I picked it up and put it on her dashboard. I was going to put a note, but I respect you too much. I say that to say this, listen... The trash can. She literally walked through the doors of, of Walmart. And if you've ever been to the Walmart, there's trash cans. There's like four of them right there. I just think we need to do a better job of taking care of the world that we live in. Okay, that's the first thing. Here's the second thing. I think we need to do a better job of loving who he loves and understanding who we are and who he created. So um, I have a really interesting staff. So some of you know I have a, I have a little shoe fetish. Um, but I found somebody on our staff. Actually, there's two men on our staff. I won't say their names because I'm not going to embarrass people, but their names, remo- uh, they, they, um, they sound a lot like, like um, Bill and Cat. So that's what they sound a lot like. They, they, they kind of rhyme, okay? So it, it's not who you think it is. It's not Will and Pat, okay? I promise it's not Will and Pat. But so when Will came on staff, he started telling me about these shoes. How many people know what these are? Anybody? So they're, they're Jordans. And as a matter of fact, 
there's a whole website. You can go to it. It's ridiculous. It's a whole website called Preachers and Sneakers. <laughs> and it is. And it's about these preachers, these high, these really important preachers that spend thousands, they spend five, ten thousand dollars on the shoes, and they get up on the stage on these in these huge humongous churches, and they, they're they're kind of showing off their shoes. And I'm thinking, I could do a lot more, in my opinion, with that money, missions or whatever, or you know, golf clubs or something. I don't know, I'll figure something out then. Sneakers, but so these are not ten thousand dollars shoes. But so um, Bill and Cat um, have some of these. Well, I don't know about you guys. Like, I like these. Like, I go down. Like, I get them like three for hundred dollars. If I go to Hilton Head and I get in the in that little Nike outlet, anybody go to the Nike outlet or the Under Armour? Like, I can't, like, so I walk out of there. Every time I go down there, I walk out with three pairs, and it's always, you know, $115, $120 for three pairs. That's pretty good, right? And what I've realized, and just listen to me on this. This is really important. I don't jump any higher in these than I would these. <laughs> you tracking with me? I don't run any faster. I'm still a slow white guy. These don't make me fast. Like, I'm not, like, I'm not, like, running, like, I'm not going to play basketball like LeBron James because I got Jordans on. So I started asking questions, and like I like the swoosh and all that, but I started asking, and these have the same swoosh on them. Didn't know if you knew that, but they had the same swoosh. So I started asking the question, why are these a couple $300, maybe $400, maybe $1,000, maybe even $5,000? Why are these so much more than $39 or $49 if they're the same shoe and they do the same thing? And I was taught by, man, I love being a learner. I was taught by my staff, I was taught by, by Bill and Kat that... It's because these have somebody's name on them. So I'm going to write my name on these because I'm pretty important in Evans, right? But it made me think. Michael Jordan's name on those make those worth tens of thousands of dollars, Kevin. Do you believe that? Tens of thousands of dollars. And then I realized this. His name is written on me. That I get to call the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords friend. That he knows me by name. He knows every hair on my head. I'm valuable because he made me in his image. I'm valuable because of what he's done in me and through me. I'm valuable because he's my creator. And, and, and hear me on this, because some of you are going to go, oh, no, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. You will never, ever, ever come in contact with a person that God doesn't love. You will never, ever, I don't care what side of the aisle, I don't care what they believe, I don't care what they've said about you, I don't care what they've said about God. You will never come in contact with a person that God doesn't love. And I'll tell you this, I'll even go a step further, and this is going to freak some of you out. You will never, ever look in the eyes of somebody that Jesus Christ didn't die for. For God so loved, and he didn't quantify it by all the good people or all the Republicans or all the this or all of that. For God so loved this rotten, stinking, filthy, nasty, sinful world that he sent his son so we could be restored, creator and creators. And if he loves them, hear me on this. You should love them too. No questions asked. I don't care. I don't care if you know their story. I don't care what their story is anymore. 
I have, I've, I've literally watched in first service a 70-year-old man who didn't know even the name of Jesus until two weeks ago. I watched him in that water for the very first time. He asked Christ to be a savior the other day, and we buried the old man, and we brought him up brand new. I don't know his story. I know he's an addict. I don't know exactly what's going on, but I have watched this happen over and over and over again for 17 years. This is the most exciting thing we do. Don't quantify who we can love. You know what I think would be a really good practice for us to do as believers? Love everybody and let God sort it out. Verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of heaven, over livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing. I love the way 1 John sets it apart. He says, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Here's the third observation I want us all to make today. We see through the book of Genesis, we see how life should have been, we see how life could have been, and we see how life ended up. We see the perfect state of the world and then we see the temptation, and then we see the effects of it. And it's interesting because I've been reading over and over again. And, and then what should have been is they were living in the perfect place. The, 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 the setting of, of Eden was perfect. It was everything they could ever... All they had to do is not eat of that one tree. That must have been some special tree, by the way. That they have all this other stuff, but that's the one that they chose to eat. Even after God told them not to. Genesis 2 tells us this is the way it should be. And I love this. I love how he quantifies what this is and what's important. He says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. You know what? I used to hear people say all the time, work is, is the, the byproduct of sin. No, it's not. Work's the byproduct of being God's creation. And he put in us a desire to work. As a matter of fact, if I'm not mistaken, it's in Ecclesiastes. He says it like this in 3. Uh, verse 12, he said, I perceive that there's nothing better for them than to be joyful and do good as long as they live, also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in his toil, in his work. This is God's gift to man. I, I, used, to, I used to, like, Gina, I'm, I'm going to work, and I, I, I love going eight to 10 hours, and I love, I love the people I work with. I love what I get to do. I love doing this. It came to a head Friday for me, and I realized exactly what God's desire and what God's put in us as people. Like, I have a work family. How many people have a work family? And my work family is equally as important, and I love every, but they're important to me. And Friday, actually Thursday night, I started getting a text message thread, right? It was Thursday night, and we have one of our own here that's mother's I'm going to pass away soon. And, like, we've been loving on her. We're trying to love on her. We're trying to love on her, but we can't do hospital visits. They won't even let clergy go into a hospital, hospital right now. So I can't, I can't do the normal things. Like, um, last week, um, I think it was Thursday, I had to pray a prayer on a FaceTime. Last Sunday, last Sunday, I had to do a Zoom funeral. Could you imagine that? And so we can't even do the things that, like the, the things that God's put in, but we're sitting there and somebody had the idea, why don't we go up there? And I think it was a nurse that said, why don't we go up there and just have a bunch of signs and just tell, tell Tina how much we love her. And so we get up there and it was that moment I just said, you know something? I love what I do. And I love who I do it with. And yeah, we have times in work that it's hard, and some of you don't like your job. I love my job. That's a God-given desire he's put in our lives. 
He's put it in our lives that we, we, we desire to work. It wasn't an impact of sin, but we'll find out what was in a minute. So God's design plan was that. Now then we also see God's design plan for man and woman. And I'm just going to say this, okay? I am going to allow. There's sometimes I think we try to over-explain things and we try to justify things. Can I just let God's holy word, his holy scripture, just speak for a minute? I'm not going to add any dialogue to it. I just want you to listen to it. And I want you to ask yourself to allow the Holy Spirit to do what he needs to do in each of us. So every person in this room, right, because I believe when the Holy Spirit is doing his work, when he's doing what he's supposed to do, man doesn't have to say a word. And I'm going to let the Holy Scripture speak loud and clear. Verse 18 says, Then the Lord said, It is not good for man that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. He said, Now out of the ground the Lord has formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what, see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and all the birds of the heaven and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was no found helper fit for him. So the Lord caused the deep sleep to fall upon a man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs, he closed it up with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man made into a woman and brought her to, a man, uh, her to the man. Verse 23, then the man said that this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh, man and woman. Just let it sink in for a second. It's God's holy word. Sitting in a preacher, 55-year-old guy, white Republican, it's none of that. It's God's holy word. And I think there's three observations I made here that I'll give you that you can kind of chew on for a little while. Here's the first one. God made a helper, not a servant. The word helper is actually a word, word easer, which describes also a word of how God has helped us in our lives get through life. So I think the very first thing, and I've seen this before in church, especially some of the older churches that I've been, uh, been around, I've been around some of that it's almost like women are over here and men are over here. That's not God's design plan. Women were never called to be servants. They were called to be helpers. Here's the second thing. I think God's design plan is for men and women to be married. Oh, Bobby, I'm single. Good. That's perfect. Because the Bible also talks about celibacy. It talks about Paul. Well, Bobby, I was divorced. Okay, great. And I'll, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stand on this right now, okay? I have never in 30 years of ministry talked to a person or people that have gone through a divorce, that sin wasn't the cause of it. God's design plan is for people to stay together, for husband and wife to stay together. But sin has messed up everything from the very beginning of time. And the third thing I've realized, and maybe the most important thing, that Adam and Eve lived in fellowship with God. As a matter of fact, a couple times it says, in the cool of the morning, God walked with Adam and Eve through the, through the garden. There was fellowship there. And I say that, because you're going to realize in a second the consequence of sin. So temptation enters in. And we see how temptation can easily, real quickly, um, change us from the right mentality to a wrong mentality. And I'm going to let you know something. There's a science of temptation, and it hasn't changed in thousands of years. Do you know what the science of temptation, what it says? 
is that you're right and God's wrong. And that's what he does at the Garden of Eden. He says, you mean that if you eat of that tree, you'll be like a God, which was a lie, by the way. That's not what God told them. And right away, they started questioning everything they believed. And by the way, that's been his scheme throughout all of history. Matthew chapter 3. Read Matthew chapter 3 sometime. Jesus is being baptized. So he's coming up out of the water. And you hear the angel of the Lord or God say, whoever it was, say, this is my son who I am well pleased with. This is my son. That's really important verbiage. This is my son. He's declaring who this person is, whoever's there. Matthew chapter 4, the temptation of Jesus. Listen to what the, the tempter says to Jesus. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, if. He's always questioning. He's always putting that, that thought, if. If. You mean, do you really think, like that one sin, that one yell, that one scream, that one, that one, that one, that one glance, that one drink, that what it want? If, yeah, that's his greatest tool he has. So all throughout history, that's what he used. And then what we see in Genesis, and you're going, Bobby, come on, man, give me some good news. I'll give you some good news in a minute. But you can't have good news without bad news. And we see this. We see there's a cost. There's a cost of disobedience. I say it all the time, y'all. God never honors disobedience. You can't do something wrong and expect God to give you a blessing. The result of the breach in the contract between God and Adam and Eve was not what the devil said, which was wisdom. You know what it was? Shame. And it's been like that since the very beginning of time, y'all. Genesis chapter 3, listen to this. He says in verse 7, he says, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked. You know there's a huge difference between being naked and naked, right? Naked is you have no clothes on. Naked is you have no clothes on. You're doing something you shouldn't be doing. They were naked. For the very first time in the course of history. Think about that. And they sewed fig leaves up. I got a question for you today. What's the fig leaf you're hiding behind? What, what's the sin? Because we know that sin brings us shame, doesn't it? And anytime we're in shame, anytime we're in sin, that's a byproduct. It's, it's something that happens. When you ask a kid if they've done something wrong, what is the first thing they do? They go to try to hide. They don't want to face the situation. And you know what we start to do? We start to blame shift. We blame everybody else. You know what's interesting? I've heard people say, if Eve didn't do this, you know what? Adam was right there. Adam wasn't off in another country. He wasn't out fishing or hunting. He was standing right there, and he allowed it to happen. How many times when you've got caught? So when my kids were small, um, I, my wife, um, we had children um, that were two years apart. So our second group, there were twins. So we had a daughter and then twins. And so we had three inside the age of two. And you want to talk about blame shifting each other. I walked in the bedroom one time, and I can't remember what, to, it was one of the twins was like, Aah! right, one of those, you ever get one of those? Like they're like uncontrollable crying. And I walk in, and when I walk in, 
the oldest one starts to cry. That's a dead giveaway, by the way. <laughs> so I said, what happened? What happened to your sister? The bat hit her in the head. Did you have anything to do with it? No. And here's this other little helpless baby that she points to and said, that one did it. We do the same thing. Something happens at work, you blame somebody else. Budget doesn't balance, somebody else's fault. Trip gets canceled, somebody else's fault. I don't hang out with people very long that don't take, that don't take responsibility for their actions. It's a surefire sign there's a bigger issue. And you can go back to Adam and Eve and watch it play out because there's a cost. They didn't realize how big the cost was, and I've said this for years. Sin will take you further than you want to go. It will absolutely keep you there longer than you want to stay. And it will make you, <laughs> it'll cost you more than you're willing to pay. I had a young man in my house last November and said, Pastor Bobby, I've heard you say this a gazillion times, and I never thought it would actually happen until right now. And it cost him everything. It cost him his marriage. It cost him his family. It cost him everything. Sin has a cost. For Adam and Eve, it was childbearing. For Eve, it's going to be difficult. There's going to be constant tension between her and her husband. We see that in how they raised Cain and Abel. For, 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 for Adam, the ground all of a sudden was cursed. Where what was a blessing and started out as a blessing, where work was a great thing, now it's cursed and there's thorns in the ground and there's rocks and it's going to be turmoil and it's going to be problems. And then on top of that, like that's not bad enough. The worst thing that could happen happens. They lose paradise. Could you imagine being with God every day in this place called Eden, this place of perfection, and he walks you outside and says, you're never allowed to come back here again. It says, therefore the Lord, God sent him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. Sin has a cost. I bet you we can ask stories around this place right here. Sin has a cost, doesn't it? But you want to know something also? Sin has a remedy. That's the great thing, is sin has a remedy. How many people are into technology? Anybody love technology? Nobody. Three people. Perfect. We're the dumb church. <laughs> just, just kidding. Just kidding. We read books. I was reading a story about a guy in Colorado that one of the most brilliant people, he repair anything that was ever broken, but in his shop, he had all these things that were never repaired. And he was asked why they were never repaired. And he said, because the workmanship is so bad, even if I repair them, they're just going to break again. So it's just easy just to go out and buy another one. Appliances, all kinds of things in there. I took, I took a computer not too long ago, and it's, you know, it's, it's an Apple computer, and I took it, and they were like, well, it's, it's kind of out of date. It's like, it's a year old. <laughs> you need the new, latest, greatest 10XP that, you know, ties your shoes for you and everything. 
Like, I don't need, I, I, don't, I don't need three cameras in my phone. Somebody say amen to that. I can't figure out how to use one camera in my phone. But we live in a culture that we think that we just throw things away that are broken. And that's not Jesus. And that's not the culture. And it's amazing to me how one person's disobedience changed the world, but also one person's obedience fixed the world. I love the way Romans says it. It's turning out to be one of my favorite passages. It says, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For, for as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be righteous. See, that's what's so great about Genesis. We see the start of the thread of a redemption story because God has never seen anything, you, me, that he would want to throw out. That everything that he's ever seen, everything he's ever created, he's wanted to fix. And Jesus has been that. And maybe you've never heard the Jesus story. Maybe today's the first time. I'll give you the short story. Jesus came from heaven, 100% God, 100% man. Perfect. Never sinned. Never did anything wrong. He was executed for a crime that he didn't commit. He was placed on a cross, and he was murdered. He was put in a cave after he was murdered. Three days later, he rose from that cave doing exactly what he said he was going to do. The Bible says in Acts chapter 1, they're looking at Jesus. He's ascending into heaven. They said, what are you looking for? That same Jesus is going to come back and take you back one day. The Bible says he's prepared a place for us. In my house are many rooms, many, many areas where many people that know who, who he is will have opportunity to spend eternity. Revelation chapter 3.20 says that the spirit of God lives right inside of you when you ask Christ to be your Savior. I was 17 years old. Somebody presented Jesus for the very first time. And I remember doing something. And it's interesting because it's something that I've heard up to this point almost all my life. I've heard people say, I've accepted Jesus in my heart. I didn't accept Jesus in my heart. I accepted Jesus in me, period. He doesn't want just my heart. He wants my hands. He wants my mind. He wants my feet. He wants my body. He wants my life. He wants my day. He wants my everything. And I want to uh, hear me on this because I joke about this all the time, but this is not a joke, okay? I'm not joking right now. Being saved is not you walking up an aisle. So if that's what you're basing your salvation on, you better check it out. Your salvation is not based on signing a card one day in a back room where somebody prayed for you. Being saved is not that you went to Sunday school or you go to a church in the United States. Saved is not the fact that you even get baptized because if that's the case, the thief on the cross is not saved. But Jesus told him, today you'll see me in paradise. What it means to be saved is we accept what the gospel presentation is. And that's Jesus suffered on the cross. He died. He was buried. He rose from the grave and he's preparing a place for us. And it's when we ask him into our lives to dominate our lives, to dominate our thoughts, to dominate our actions, that's when we're saved. Thanks again for listening today. If you need prayer or help taking your next step, email our team at nextsteps at journeycommunity.net.